Hey friends, welcome back to the Way of the Master podcast. I'm Tom Johnston. This is episode six, and uh, our topic today is a rabbinical approach to parenting your church. However, because it's episode six, I just have to kind of uh, give us a, a, a subtitle to this, The Return of the Rabbi. Okay, okay. That's enough. Uh, I got to get serious. So really what I want to talk to you about is how Jesus did what he did. That uh, what Mike Perkins and I refer to as the Jesus way. How is it that we uh, can model our life and ministry on what Jesus did? And that's actually kind of where I get the whole idea of the way of the master. That what we're trying to do is we're trying to follow Jesus in his way and as leaders, as pastors, we're trying to do what he did and help other people follow his way. See, it's his mission that we're joining him in. It's his movement uh, that we're part of. And really, because of that, his method of how he did what he did is really super important. So, you know, in Matthew 28, starting verse 18, we have the Great Commission uh, that Jesus commissions his disciples. And he says this starting in verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, sometimes, uh, you know, pastors ask me, uh, do you believe, Tom, that this is possible for us to do? And it's like, yes, of course. Uh, and, and so if it is possible, it begs the question, well, why isn't it happening uh, everywhere? Why isn't it happening uh, in, in all of our churches? Why isn't uh, the Jesus way being uh, pursued by people? Why aren't people coming to Christ? Why isn't the church growing and, and impacting culture? And of course, we know it is in all kinds of places around the world, but it's it's not happening a whole lot where we are in the Western world. You know, we look to Jesus for our salvation, for our healing, for our wholeness. We look to him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We look to him for doctrine. Um, and from his teaching, we learn to live his way, the kingdom life. But we, I think we've missed something really big how he did what he did is really, really important. And so I want to look at what it meant for Jesus to be a rabbi. So the term rabbi uh, literally means my master teacher of the way. So it's someone who would uh, instruct their, their followers, their disciples, in how to live life according to Torah. And in Hebrew, Torah means instruction or literally the way. And... Uh, uh, the term disciple in ancient Hebrew is lemud and has the meaning of one who is being taught uh, in a master-apprentice relationship. You can see examples of this in Isaiah 8.16 and also Isaiah 50 verse 4. So we see it in the Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, the school of the sons of the prophets 
the sons of the prophets were very much the cadre of disciples of the prophets in the Old Testament. And in the Second Temple period, uh, when rabbinic Judaism uh, emerges uh, out of uh, Ezra's school, you see it uh, starting in Nehemiah 8, you see the beginnings of it. Uh, when rabbinic Judaism starts with the Second Temple, uh, they start to uh, have followers, disciples uh, of, of their teaching and of their understanding of Torah. So Jesus, as a rabbi, invested his life in other people, teaching them how to live the kingdom way of life. And, you know, from a New Testament perspective, belief and life really can't be separated. Um, you know, as I've shared with you before, the Haggadah, the telling or the story, you know, what we think of as the teaching and the halakha, the practice, you know, of, uh, of what is taught. It literally means the path by which one walks. It's the way. And so it's the practices uh, in ancient Judaism that were so super important. And so Jesus is showing his disciples how to live the way, not just kind of information about the way or just explaining it. He's literally showing them how to do it. Because people can't just be told how to live. They have to be shown how to live. And if we go back to Matthew 28, uh, verse 20, um, the first part, you know, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. It, it could be inferred as causing them to know how to do all that I've commanded you. So it's not just tell them to do these things, but tell them what to do, but show them how to do it. And, and so this is a piece I think that's really missing from our pastoral practice in the Western church, where we don't have proximity to people uh, who we're discipling uh, so they can see our life, so they can interact with us in our life. So there can be ongoing everyday discussions about making application of the word to life. Uh, it, we are kind of limited to meetings and gatherings and sermons and maybe a few Bible studies, but we really are at the place where we have, by and large, taken the practice of investing our life in other people who then can themselves invest in other people. Uh, you know, in 2 Timothy uh, 2, Paul tells Timothy to invest in faithful men who's able, who are able to teach others. So if you kind of get this, you see Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others, you're seeing the generational transmission of the faith, uh, that it's going down the generations of believers, and, and people are getting it one from another. And that, Paul says that because that is the rabbinic methodology. You invest in the few who are able to invest in the many. And in that, uh, you're able uh, to impact more and more people uh, through this Jesus way. And so Jesus's mission and his movement require his method. And we've got a lot of cultural incrustation on us as, as pastors. Uh, we weren't taught so much how to do discipleship, how to invest our lives in others, how to live a rabbinic way of life that was open to others and was the teaching platform. Uh, we were taught how to do services and administrate and, and you know, run meetings and, and maybe do a Bible study, but it was really very passive. We received people that came to us that we didn't seek people out to make disciples. And, you know, for Jesus, all of life was his curriculum. 
and life-on-life -life mentoring was his method. Now, when, when people think, well, how many disciples did Jesus had? Well, he had, you know, they say, well, he had 12 disciples. Well, the truth is, is he had 84 disciples uh, that, we, that we know of that are called out. Um, there were 12 that he named as apostles, and they were, these were kind of the senior students in his group, the most ready to go. And, you know, but Jesus engaged his father's mission by building this small cadre of disciples. And you see this in Luke 9, where he says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. But right, you know, later, uh, the next chapter, Luke 10, uh, verse 1, it says, and the after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So you get the 12, you get the 72, you get these 84. And this was his cadre of disciples. This was, uh, you know, akin to the, the, the sons of the prophets in the Old Testament. The rabbis now had disciples. And this group was his, you know, wisdom school. And later, this kind of became known as Bet HaMidrash, the House of Interpretation or Application. And uh, it, it's, the focus was teaching people how to apply Torah to everyday life. And specifically, Midrash was about uh, a cadre of apprentice rabbis. So Jesus, in calling out his 84 disciples, is intentionally uh, creating disciples to continue his teaching, his mission, uh, and to build the church. And so while Jesus taught the multitudes about the kingdom, he explained the kingdom to his disciples. And if you look at a time study of what Jesus did, he invested the most in the 12 and the 72. The crowds were come and go, but he was always investing in, in the 84 disciples. You know, and Dr. Robert Coleman said this, in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, which he wrote back in 1963, by the way. I was two years old when this book came out. I wish we would have listened, because here, here's what he says. It all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction his evangelistic strategy would take. His concern was not with the programs to reach the multitudes, but with the men whom the multitudes would follow. Remarkable as it may seem, Jesus started to gather those men before he ever organized an evangelistic campaign or even preached a sermon in public. Men were to be his method of winning the world to God. So what Dr. Coleman is saying is his focus, Jesus' focus, was to impart his life to people, explaining, demonstrating, and exemplifying life in the kingdom of God. He invested in the individuals who would take his movement to the world. Uh, Dr. Coleman goes on to say this, his nature being personal is only expressed through personality, first revealed fully in Christ and now expressed through his spirit in the lives of those yielded to him. So God expresses himself through us who are filled with his spirit as a person to other persons. Coleman goes on to say this, it does not matter how many we enlist for the cause, but how many conquer for Christ. That is why all along our emphasis must be on quality of life. If we get the right quality of leadership, the rest will follow. If we do not get it, the rest have nothing worth following.
And that's because, as, as I always say, you cannot give away what you don't already have. So it's what we have of Jesus in us, not just our doctrine, but how we have incarnated the way of life by the Holy Spirit, how we have lived out our doctrine in the context of relationship, in the context of ministry, that we can have something of Jesus to give away. Even the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So we need to have something that other people can imitate of Christ. <laughs> My friend Mike Perkinson always says that if you can't say yes to that, then get out of pastoral ministry because what you're going to be exemplifying is not Jesus. And so people need to follow your example. It is actually the example of how you live Jesus out loud before them that is, is the method of discipleship. And Mike and I always say this too. If you want to start an organization, you go large. But if you want to start a movement, you focus small. And that's what Jesus did. So today we kind of have a business model for church and a business model for church planting, church multiplication. But really what it needs to be is we need to become the rabbis. So literally, we need to have a return to the rabbinical model that we might be able to be accessible to people who really want to go somewhere with Jesus. And we need to invest not in the crowds alone, but in the 12 and the 72 that we might have around us. And, you know, those numbers aren't magical. They're just indicative of, of what Jesus was doing. But you might not have a 12 uh, you might have a five and you might not have a 72, you might have a 50 and, you know, or you might have a 25, whatever it is, you need to invest in the lives of other people who are going to then turn around and multiply themselves spiritually into more disciples. So again, Coleman went on to say this, we should not expect a great number to begin with, nor should we desire it. The best work is always done with a few. Better to give a year or so to one or two men who will learn what it means to conquer for Christ than to spend a lifetime with a congregation just keeping the programs going. Nor does it matter how small or inauspicious the beginning may be. What counts is that those to whom we do give priority upon our life learn to give it away. You know, and I think about, you know, the Old Testament, you know, don't despise the day of the small beginnings. And, and so as a church planter who's, you know, planted four different times and have sent out church plants, it always starts small. Uh, but when we multiply ourselves through disciple making into other people and we focus on those who can really multiply and, and take what we're teaching and put it into practice in their life and share that life with others, that's where we want to focus. So as pastors, two of our, much of our week right now is spent on the many to the neglect of the few who can become world changers. You see, Jesus was the master mentor. As a rabbi, mentoring was their primary skill, the investment of themselves and others. And I love this uh, from Dr. William Lane, um, who's known to have said this very often, but when God gives a gift, he wraps it in a person. So when, when God gave us himself, he gave us himself wrapped in the person of Jesus Christ. And now Christ, by his spirit, gives gifts to men, it says in Ephesians 4, that there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, 
that we as pastors are gifts to the body of Christ, and we need to give ourselves to people. We need to uh, invest ourselves in people. And it can be hard. It can be costly. It's a long-term project. Uh, I think in decades, not uh, months or weeks or years or programs, you know, that run eight weeks or 12 weeks, I think about how am I going to invest my life in this person for a decade or more? And the people that I'm working with right now, my leadership team, many of them I have invested my life in for almost 20 years, some of them over 10 years, some of them five or six years. And so uh, all of that is bearing fruit in uh, the fact that they are multiplying themselves, uh, they're multiplying disciples, they're multiplying leaders, they're multiplying groups, some of them have multiplied churches. And so with that, that's where we want to invest. Because all real ministry is relational and incarnational. You know, Jesus called his disciples to himself into a, an intentional mentoring apprenticeship relationship. He created a learning community uh, amongst his cadre of disciples. And, and again, that would later become known as the Bet Ha Midrash, the school or house of interpretation or the house of application. Um, and so, at the, at the phase when Christ is functioning, it's a wisdom school, it's, it's a little looser, but it's very intentional. And so this mentoring in the rabbinic model is required for multiplication. And it's essential to Jesus's mission and movement, but not as an add-on to what we do, but the, as the primary thing that we do. So, um, Terry Wise, which is a guy who's, uh, you know, he's a scholar, he's a practitioner of pastoral ministry, but uh, he said this about mentoring. Mentoring is as old as civilization itself. The values, teaching, and experience of one generation were passed on to the next generation by the way of mentoring. At one time, it was the primary method of relaying knowledge and skills in almost every field. And so it is with life. We mentor our children. So it is with discipleship. We mentor them in the Jesus way. We are spiritual parents to them. Uh, the other day, I, my wife and I prayed with another couple. Um, they're about the same age. One member of the couple is actually three years older than us. And at the end of the time we were praying with them, they said, uh, yeah, even though we're the same age and a little older, you have spiritually parented us tonight as you prayed with us and talked with us. So we, we, in mentoring, we are spiritual parents to people. We're also, you know, peer mentors. We come alongside each other. But, but there is this idea of mentoring. You know, Paul Stanley and J. Robert Clinton, who, who uh, define mentoring this way, it's the relational experience in which one person empowers another by sharing God-given resources. So there's something of Jesus in you that God wants you to give to your disciples that they might be resourced in Christ. So that the mentoring apprenticeship model employed by Jesus and the other rabbis of his day is relationally engaged by Bet Rash. It's holistic. In other words, the focus is on developing the whole person. And too often, you know, we, we disciple people to task. You're like, you're going to be a small group leader. You're going to do children's ministry. You're going to lead worship. And we think about tasks within the church, and we don't think about life. And then, you know, we wonder when people blow up. You know, how did that happen? I didn't see that coming. It's because we didn't attend to their life. We just uh, attended to their ministry. 
So it's holistic. It, it develops the whole person. It's integrated into life that the learning is based in life and the relationships which compromise it or, or which comprise it. And, and so in that, um, we need to be in the context of relationship with people so that we have just-in-time learning. Uh, a lot of Bible study and training and other things are good, but they're just-in-case learning. It's in case you need this knowledge. Just-in-time learning is where it happens in the midst of life, and there's a teachable moment. Uh, there's a holy moment of revelation where God walks somebody through a hard time or helps them overcome temptation or delivers them from some kind of bondage in their life. Or where they they do something that you've instructed them to do with somebody else and, and there's great victory in that other person's life. And so these are the teachable moments that come out of relationship. And, and you know, it's an adult learning process. It's, it's about teaching that the person through discovery as they walk with you in Jesus. And it's, it's not so much about just content, you know, content driven where, you know, we got to get through this study. We got to do this. We got to do that. It's really that you're walking alongside them and tools can be used and processes can be used and materials can be used. But it's really about the walk together in the midrash with a cadre of disciples that you have intentionally invited into relationship as an apprentice to learn from you. So there are some key elements to this in Jesus's mentoring model. First is an intentional invitation. You know, he wasn't passive. He said, come and follow. And some people responded and some people didn't. And that's going to be the case. And sometimes it's too early for people. Sometimes it's never going to happen. Those that it might seem too early for in themselves, you know, I, I say it this way, keep them in orbit. Next time they spin around, ask the question again, make the invite. Then there has to be proximity. You have to have time and space together on a regular basis so that you can invest in people's lives. Again, there's this holistic focus that it's the whole life that is, that is important. And then, you know, the fourth thing is you have to create relational environments where mentoring can occur. So Jesus did that through Midrash. Uh, we have several environments where, uh, that I've created within our church family where, you know, I invest in about 50 or so leaders. So I don't have a 72, I got a 50. And in that, um, it's all our pastoral teams, anybody who's heading anything up in the church. And so I have a time with them. We call it LC or leadership community. It's uh, every few months and I go deep with, uh, you know, discipleship training, processing, planning, walking together as a group and casting vision. And, you know, we, we have a meal together. At least we did pre-COVID. Hopefully we're going to get back to that soon. We share communion together. And, and so in that, um, I'm investing in this group uh, really intentionally. Um, part of that is a subset we call SLC, Senior Leadership Community, which is basically the rather large bivocational team of couples I have and singles uh, who are on our pastoral team. Uh, all of them are bivocational. And, and so in that, I get together with them every month. Um, now, out of that cadre of LC and SLC, that 50 people, I have individual coaching appointments with them. Uh, those that are on an apprentice track for um, um, pastoral ministry or church planting, uh, I have intentional uh, times with them on a monthly basis at least uh, where we schedule time where we're going to be together and we're going to 
We're going to talk about the Jesus way. We're going to talk about what's on their agenda. So uh, you have to create environments where that this stuff happens. So there's the individual. There's the thing. We, we do things with couples together. And, you know, there's a larger leadership community. And then there's the subset of my pastoral team. So all those people are my priority, have my priority, and have access to me. Um, you know, it's only those people that have my cell phone number. And uh, not that I'm trying to isolate, but I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to focus small so that the larger community that we have continues to grow through multiplying disciples. So again, let me just rehearse the key elements in Jesus' mentoring model. That intentional invitation of come and follow, the proximity of time and space together in relationship, the holistic focus, and then creating relational environments where mentoring can occur. So here's some first steps in the Jesus way. So first, get a mentor. Who's mentoring you? Like, who have you sought out to follow in the Jesus way? Who's got something that you want that they can give you? Call them up. Get some time with them. Make it regular. Ask to be mentored. Second thing, learn how Jesus did it. And, you know, dive into the Word. Look at the Scripture. Read through the Gospels. Look at how Jesus did what he did. Also, if you're interested, we have uh, a course uh, that I do through the Trevium Institute for Leader Development, which is part of the Praxis Center for Church Development. We have an introduction to mentoring, which is really easy. It gives you an overview of how Jesus did it. We also have a course called certifi uh, Mentor Certification, which is much more in-depth study uh, of the whole idea of mentoring. And uh, so, you know, learn how to do it. Get with people who do it. Ask them. Read about it. Um, so reprioritize your time, move away from the crowd, move to your, uh, your 12 and your 72 repurpose current environments. So what are the environments that you currently are getting together in that could become more discipleship focused, uh, identify your three, your 12, your 72, figure out who it is that really want to learn from you and go there. Again, the numbers aren't any kind of magic. It's just indicating the degree of where people are at in the journey. Uh, create a leadership community, create your Betha Midrash, and figure out you know, what it looks like to walk with them in a consistent basis. Create an intentional, holistic leader development pathway, which has relational mentoring at its core. Everybody needs a mentor uh, that's in your church, and you can't do it all, so you're going to have to invest in others who can. Rem and So here's some final thoughts. Remember, Jesus' mission and his movement require his method. There's no way around it. Join with the Holy Spirit in leading people in the kingdom way of life. So that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to lead people into the way of life. And then ultimately, embrace the way of the master, Rabbi Jesus. So it's time to have a return of the rabbi in our churches and Jesus wants that to be you. God bless. Have a great week.